This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today I'm joined by Larry Strain. Larry is the founding partner of Restaurant Development Experts. Larry has been in the retail real estate industry for over 20 years, working at some prestigious brands such as Starbucks, Dunkin', McDonald's, to name a few. Excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Larry. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. You've you've been in a lot of cool places. You've done a lot of real estate development. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing now. Well, yeah, thanks for the intro, Chris. And I think when you say you worked at Starbucks Coffee Company, McDonald's, and Dunkin', I think every year of working for those organizations is a dog year, right? So I think it's really seven years <laughs> of retail for every uh, one year of working in the in the industry. So no one's ever said that to me. Population. <laughs> I have been in retail development for 140 years. <laughs> That's the best line I've heard in a while. <laughs> it's been a long tenure. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I started in this in this business. Um, think about the lowest level position that you can find in retail development. And I was about two steps below that when I got into this. Um, and it's kind of like in the in the restaurant industry, what's below the dishwasher, right? And that's kind of how I got into I got into to retail real estate. Uh, and I worked myself up um, uh, over the years uh, through the ranks in multiple different companies. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I fell in love with it the first day I got into it. Um, it's I'm an entrepreneur by heart and doing real estate transactions. Everyone is different. Everyone is a new experience. Um, and I think it's probably the number one reason why people never really retire from real estate. It's uh it's a it's a great job. It's a great industry. It's fun, exciting. It's a roller coaster, um, and uh, I can't get enough of it. Awesome. Well, you founded Restaurant Development Experts. How long has Restaurant Development Experts been around? It, we're a young company, so we've been around. You know, I like to say three to five years because there was a couple of years where we really weren't very active in doing things. We're more in the creative mode, um, uh, but we're young. Um, uh, and, and we're growing, uh, we were pre pandemic, um, and then like most companies and people in, in my field, uh, it's been kind of quiet for the last 12 months, but, uh, we're seeing a lot of activity in the month of January. Um, in fact, uh, we've probably had more activity in January than we have in the past 10 months. Wow. And what does restaurant development experts do? Yeah, so it's really a culmination of my experience in retail development um, from trying to determine which markets are most viable for you to uh, identify for growth. And then how do you identify the sub markets um, for for uh, uh, retail development and all the way down to the trade area level. So when we uh, put together a strategic plan for a client. Uh, you know, you ask 10 real estate people, what's a strategic plan? You'll get 12 different answers. So um, the, the way that we look at it is we uh, we take regions of the United States 
and break it all the way down to trade areas within the regions of the United States and build the plan back up from the, from the ground up. So we show clients exactly where to go in what priority fashion and developing their brand in any market in the United States. Um, and we have a proprietary, very interesting way of how we uh, approach that. Um, and, it's, and it's really built upon the mistakes that I have personally made in my career uh, doing this for multi-unit brands and multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, so I've made a lot of mistakes, mistakes that would pretty much crush most retailers, emerging retailers today. So I take those experiences, um, create the strategic plans for the clients, and then we're interesting and unique because we can also help execute uh, those plans in the market for our clients through our real estate services, through brokerage services and corporate outplacement uh, services as well. Understand. It's a growing business because you're not the only one in that sector. What separates you from the other players in that sector? I think a few things. The first is our system was built based upon our mistakes, um, which is hard to say for some of the other concepts and brands out there today that are offering these. They're, they're pretty much analyst designed. Um, ours were actually designed by field, you know, field uh, real estate people uh, and executives. And um, uh, so, and another piece of it is that we actually build the plans for our clients. So we don't license our platform to a client to use our technology to create the plan. We create the entire plan for the client uh, using our in-house systems and expertise. Okay. Very, very interesting. Uh, do you find that that isn't the case for a lot of those companies out there who do yeah, that? Most, yeah, most of the companies, again, they're, they're analyst design platforms. They create regression analysis models um, predicated upon successful operation of units uh, in that uh, client's portfolio. They sell um, and they have a very sophisticated system and they sell licenses to their system and uh, those clients use them to conduct market studies. Um, the problem is if the person who's using that program doesn't have a vast experience in developing market plans, you have to kind of question what the viability of that market plan is after it's been created. So um, that's really what, what kind of separates us from that is that we use our own in-house expertise to create those plans using our own in-house systems, um, uh, which helps protect the uh, credibility of that uh, strategic growth plan. Got it. Really interesting stuff. I think that there's a lot in, of art and science that goes behind that. Exactly. It's much more than just math, um, which a lot of people like to oversimplify. You know, the analyst inside of you, um, believes that just the stats speak for themselves and um, you can uh, rely 100% on what those stats tell you. But again, following those stats and building retail development, getting burned by that, you know, having your job at risk or putting a franchisee's um, uh, well-being <laughs> at risk uh, for directing them to go after a site. We take those things very personal and, and to heart. And um uh, and we learned from every one of those mistakes, as, as many as they were, uh, every one of them was a life lesson for us that we took and built into the platform that we offer today. Excellent. I want to move the conversation now. What are the key trends that you're seeing in retail real estate 
post-pandemic? Well, obviously the hot topic right now is ghost kitchens. Um, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of uh, money thrown their way. Um, uh, it's a, a misunderstood space um, that folks are getting into. Um, and uh, this knee-jerk reaction of how to deal with a post-pandemic environment is uh, taking a lot of people's attention away from the traditional brick-and-mortar retail build-out of things and relying heavily upon a ghost kitchen type platform. Um, you know, I, I'm mixed on it. I, I think that ghost kitchens are a phenomenal way to uh, extend your brand's reach through another point of distribution, but I don't believe that it will become the point of distribution as which a lot of analysts and most tech analysts are, are uh, projecting the, the wave of ghost kitchens to become. I think it'll be um, an added component, just like drive-throughs were an added component before they existed or uh, somebody evolving a day part on their um, menu offering. Um, uh, uh, curbside delivery versus in-store order placement. You know, I think these are all just evolutions of how the um, um, retailers will work going forward. And, uh, but I don't think it will become the primary point of conducting business for brands. How do you build a brand without a retail storefront, right? Because now you're taking brand development to a whole nother level of consumer product goods. Um, you know, and, and trying to take a, a, a restaurant or a retail brand and try to develop through a consumer product good methodology just doesn't make sense to me. Larry, that was so insightful. I really loved how you mentioned that it is not the point of distribution, rather it is an extension of their distribution. It doesn't feel to me that every brand will be able to scale this the way headline news is stating they should. People are getting really excited about ghost kitchens. I am too. But again, it's another point of distribution, not the point of distribution. That said, it will certainly be interesting to see if a virtual kitchen can scale nationally without a physical presence to connect with the consumer. Speaking of the consumer, from a consumer perspective, an additional concern I have is consistency. I think the more different types of distribution points you have, the harder it is to execute with consistency? It absolutely will be. Um, yeah, I think that ghost kitchens are a great complement to the overall development plan of your brand within a marketplace. Um, I'll give you another example. Um, captive audience environments, right? So at Starbucks, we had licensed stores where we couldn't control the real estate inside of a college campus or um, a large scale hotel or convention center, uh, an airport, a supermarket, right? Um, so we create a licensed venue that allows them to become the operator of that brand within that venue. Um, that is a brand extension um, and something that is a very important component of building a brand in a market. Trying to establish brand equity on brick and mortar development alone is very difficult. You have to be multi-channeled, right? You have to get in all different forms of channel distribution for your brand in order for all of those to collectively help you develop the brand to a tipping point of acceptance within that market that you're, you're um, building that brand's uh, equity. Wow, that's really thought provoking. I have not heard anybody connect the ghost kitchens as an extension of brand 
in the same manner as airports and store within store footprints are also brand extension points. That was a really interesting comparison. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. The other thing that's really hot right now, you can't go on social media and it's talked about at nauseum, but I feel we're tone deaf if we don't talk about it, is the drive-through. Every time I go on social media, there's a new drive-through concept. Is this the future that everyone's going to have a drive-through? Or is this an overcompensation for the pandemic? Overcompensation for the pandemic, hands down. Um, you know, before the pandemic, curbside delivery was becoming the new drive-through. You know, when Starbucks created their order app, I haven't stood in line at a Starbucks in probably three years. I worked for the company for a decade, right? So I'm as uh, admired to that brand and attracted to it as any person is. But I, since the development of that app, I have not stood in line to place an order at a Starbucks. I always place the order ahead and I walk in and the order's ready and I pick it up and I go. Now, it hasn't replaced customers wanting to stand in line. It hasn't replaced people wanting to enjoy the experience and the environment of the store. Um, it is uh, just another point of distribution for people who find value in that point of distribution. It doesn't replace, not everybody has the same mindset. So uh, yeah, drive-throughs are, uh, are important to a brand. Um, I think that non-drive-through locations uh, can be as convenient um, as a drive-through location if they have the right uh, order application and the right curbside delivery program in place. Everybody can become a drive-through now. When I can pull up into a parking space and have the product brought out to my car, I mean that's really what the convenience of the drive-through is. Except now I don't have to stand in line to place my order at the drive-through. That's what the curbside delivery is replacing. It's just like I was standing in that line for all those years placing those orders at Starbucks. The app replaced that. Curbside delivery can help also replace that queue that you stand at the Chick-fil-A for 45 minutes to get up to the order screen to place your order. Couldn't agree more. One of the things I keep saying to people, I keep getting frustrated at the tagline, the restaurant of the future, the drive-through of the future, the store of the future. It is often brands that have thousands of locations and the perception from the person consuming the information and reading is that every location is going to be changed to this. And I'm like, the, 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 the capital it takes to do that is enormous it's, they're not going to renovate every single store, spend millions of dollars on every single store and turn it into whatever got posted on LinkedIn as this store of the future. There will be concepts that come out of the pandemic and I'm grateful for them. There will be new drive-throughs. I don't think it'll be every store for every brand. I, maybe some will. McDonald's did a whole remodel where they almost touched every store. They did a really good job of that. However, the the picture that gets painted is that it's going to be every store. This is the drive-through of the future, and every drive-through is going to look like this, and every restaurant is going to look like this. And I keep wondering: is it an overcompensation? Are there? Is it still relevant to have a QSR that doesn't have a drive-through? I think it is. They, as you said, they could they can be convenient, and I'm interested to see how it plays out and to see if this starts to settle a little bit because 
you can't go online without seeing a new drive-through concept. And as a developer, it's helping us because we are developing for new concepts that are out there. So that's great. But it, it does beg the question, does every location have to be a drive-through? And we have some QSR locations in our portfolio that are great, do well, they're convenient, and they're not going to need a drive-through, I don't think, in the future. Not every location has to be a drive-through. That's right. But that's what, you know, Chris, you know how difficult it is to get a drive-through approved in any municipality in the United States, right? I mean, I live in Boston, for God's sakes, try to get a drive-through here, right? I mean, it's impossible, but that's what was forcing the evolution of the apps, the order ahead application and that, that convenience piece of it is that, man, you can't build every location to drive-through because the real estate just doesn't accommodate it or the jurisdictions won't allow it, or there's going to be some um, barrier to entry to making that happen the way that, uh, you know, some people are broadcasting that event to occur. And that's just, it's an impossibility. It can't happen. Fantastic point. Last question that I have before we get into your story, you mentioned the Starbucks app. So a hot topic, more specifically in retail real estate, but a hot topic, you haven't waited in line in years at Starbucks. You place an order on your app, you go and you pick it up in the store. Is that a physical store sale or is that a digital sale? You know, I guess it depends on what hat I'm wearing. Um, You know, I I think it's a store sale. Um, uh, You know, was it the digital device that created the transaction to occur? Yes, I think when you're breaking up your categories of how your, um, uh, your transactions occurred at that particular facility, yes, you could call it a digital sell. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't understand, I guess, the relevance of it, um, uh, of why it's important to delineate it that way. To me, it's a transaction. And however I obtain that transaction, the better. Um, I, I guess you could say if Chick-fil-A is using a ghost kitchen and that order comes in for the ghost kitchen to have that Chick-fil-A delivered to somebody's house, where does that transaction go? Does it go to a unit store? Or does it go to the ghost kitchen facility? What do you think? I think it probably goes to the ghost kitchen facility because that's the whole reason is, you know, why was Chick-fil-A try to operate a delivery business out of their four wall environment when that's what the ghost kitchen was designed to do is to accommodate consumers that want to receive Chick-fil-A at their house. Um, so, uh, you know, the labor burden, the cost of occupancy, all of it goes, gets billed to the, uh, ghost kitchen. And so that's where the transactions should occur. And, um, uh, that's where that PNL resides, I guess you could say. On the Starbucks example, I think that's a physical sale, physical store sale as well, because the sale could happen without the app. It can't happen without the store. You still have to walk in the store and get it. It it can happen without the app. It cannot happen. It's just an extension for you to order. But it it, it can I become a Starbucks consumer because of the app? No, I just order differently now because of the app. So it it did nothing. I think in bringing new business to the table, it just helped increase the capacity of that physical store by being able to make orders without customers having to stand in line. You got it. Boom. Totally agree. So think about that. When it gets to ghost kitchens, am I going to create new customers because of that? If you're not already a customer and now you become a customer of that brand because you're ordering and it's accessible through a ghost kitchen, I don't know. I think you might increase your frequency 
of that brand, but I don't know how many new customers that will drive to the business. We are going to take a quick break here. And now a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, retailers, are you finding it hard to keep up with the changing state and city mandates for operating during this pandemic? To keep your business and your bottom line healthy during COVID-19, you need a solid HVAC management program in place. That's why I'd recommend a new HVAC management software by Building Engines, one of the longtime leaders in the CRE industry. This solution takes the burden of performing maintenance, reporting, and ensuring tenant compliance with triple net lease obligations off your shoulders. Here at DLC, we've made Building Engines a key part of our operating strategy during the pandemic. The latest Building Engines platform, Prism, comes with 12 core modules, including work orders, preventative maintenance, and more. These modules are game changers if you're looking to speed up slow workflows, cut unnecessary expenses, and deliver an unbeatable tenant experience. To learn more about how Building Engines can help you, check out buildingengines.com retold. Makes sense. All right. I want to pivot the conversation. I want to talk about a story you have. And your story happened in Memphis, Tennessee. That's right. It happened in Memphis, Tennessee with Dunkin' Donuts of all companies. I was there today. That's right. I was there today. Um, no, I was at no, I was at Dunkin' today through the drive-through. Oh, grab, <laughs> grab, okay. gra- grabbing an iced coffee in uh, Kinalon, New Jersey. <laughs> so it, it, the unique thing about about this particular store in Memphis, Tennessee, is it was Dunkin's first store in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and so it had a lot of significance. There was a lot of uh, stress associated with this store because it had to do well. We had to put it in a great trade area. We had to have all the um, um, things that a new store needs and accessibility and visibility and popularity. And um, Union Avenue was decided to be that place to put the first store. And if you're familiar with Memphis, then you'll understand what Union Avenue is and its significance um, in the Memphis uh, marketplace. The problem is it was such a high barrier to entry to get onto Union Avenue. We had to be extremely creative um, because we had it. It must it it was mandated that we had a drive through in that facility. And of course, there were no drive through availabilities on the entire Union Avenue corridor and where we wanted to be. Starbucks number uh, number one performing store was, you know, half a mile up the street. And, uh, you know, we wanted to send a message to the brand that we were coming and we were coming hard. And um, so we found a property that had uh, 120 feet of storefront space um, uh, built up to the street front. So it really didn't have much for a queue. um, And there was no way to wrap the property. So there was no way for a car stack to wrap the property. So we decided, and we actually approached the landlord on this who thought we were crazy when we first came to us and said, we'd like to punch a drive-through right through the middle of the building. Wow. And, and he looked at us like we were crazy. And uh, uh, the problem with the lot is we also needed to be a point of egress. 
So we had to conduct ingress and egress through the center of the building in order to get the cars to wrap around the building for the drive-through and also to allow customers to get out of the property um, for dine-in customers. So when they wanted to leave, they needed to be able to come out without having to go through the drive-through. So um, it was an engineering feat uh, to make this happen. And um, it also was... uh, very convincing on my behalf to the landlord to allow us to do this to his building. Um, and so we created it um, and the inside of the space, we, we put murals inside of the space that were uh, reflective of the community in which we were building the store and had a lot of blues and barbecue and rock and roll themed aspects to the murals that we put to pay homage to Memphis and its history. Um, Gibson Guitar Factory custom built a Dunkin' Donut guitar for us to display inside of the store uh, and, and welcoming us to the marketplace. And uh, it was just, it was really fun. Wow. That is a cool story. For the listeners out there, Larry had told me that he was going to tell a different story previously. And he ch- told me before the, the call that he changed it up. I'm glad he did because this one is unique. Let's go back in time a little bit. I have a ton of questions. First question, how does something like this pencil for both Duncan and the landlord? <laughs> well, because it wasn't a drive through um, and it was an underutilized piece of property for the landlord, uh, we actually got a hell of a deal on the space. Um, uh, the, the space itself was positioned well in the trade area but no QSR or restaurant was going after it because of its inability to accommodate the drive-through and because of accessibility to the parking, which is in the rear of the property. And it was challenging to get to. And so, um, uh, so it set vacant for a while. And uh, when we approached the landlord on this and told him we were basically going to pay all of the costs for the modifications to the building, um, and he would be left with a drive-through use facility now where it didn't exist before we made it and we would pay the cost for making those improvements to accommodate a drive-through. He came on board eventually took some convincing. You mentioned the engineering. You said it was an engineering feat. I bet you were underselling it because to blow a hole in the middle of the building and make sure it still stands there's a lot that has to go into that and then then you have to get it approved so after you design this you have to meet with the municipality are you going to get approvals or is the landlord we are we are on the landlord's behalf we're there to help the landlord achieve the permits um, uh, to, to get this approved. And of course, we, we bring in design experts and we'll bring in um, uh, engineering specialists to come in and help us with the explanation of this. Because you, you got to think it's, it makes a lot of people scratch their heads because you don't see this too often presented into um, you know, the, the planning board's office. And so when they, they look at this, they obviously want to add value to it because that's what they do. They add value to there our projects, go. right? Um, and so... You know, one of the issues was how do you get the exhaust out of the corridor if a car is stuck in that corridor 
waiting for a parking space or the drive-through is so busy that cars are queuing in the corridor. So how do you address it? So we had to go back and engineer a ventilation system that helped escape the uh, exhaust gases coming out of the cars while they're in queue waiting to, um, uh, to buy the products. Unbelievable. Was this a franchise location or a corporate store? Franchise. Wow. So we had the franchisee we had to convince, the landlord we had to convince, the brand, the uh, the the uh, planning board. And there were a lot of people that we had to convince that this was what needed to happen to this, this particular property. And so, Chris, that's kind of how I operate, right? When I find the site that the brand needs to be at, I'm like a dog on a bone and I don't stop until we get it done. And um, it, it's a lot of effort, but that's what the good sites require. Couldn't agree more. The best in our industry have that tenacity that you're talking about. You mentioned that the building was right on the road. Was there DOT? And for those who don't know, Department of Transportation, because now there was never a turn there. You're going to turn off the road and go in the building, I guess, is the way to describe it. Were they involved? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course they were, right? And and they wanted to limit the accessibility coming off the road. Um, um, you know, the, the, the problem was the narrowness of the property and the setback. So the property was about 40 feet off of the road. Um, so not a lot of space to queue, right, when you come off of a of that. And that decision has to be made very quickly when you decide to come off of the road. And then, you know, the building itself, we were working with about 50 to 60 feet of frontage of which that drive through ingress and egress ate uh, a very big component of that. So how do we continue to hold the street front value without diminishing it, incorporating into an egress, egress access point. So there were a lot of different challenges that came into this particular deal and uh, making the site work in the marketplace. Wow. I can see that. But worth it. Worth it. You mentioned that the width of the building, the storefront was like 50 or 60 feet. How wide was the entrance or the corridor for the cars? Because then you had to have some space in the facility for people to walk in and where all those murals were and everything, which means it's pretty narrow space that those people were dining and eating in and having their coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So about 30 feet, 30 feet of that of that building was dedicated to that uh, ingress egress corridor through the middle of the building. But the building itself was about 120 feet of total storefront. It was contiguous with another adjacent tenant, which was another challenge. <laughs> right. We had to deal with the neighboring tenant on how it is that we um, construct this store. And this was another layer of complexity uh, in, in the deal structure here. Wow. Yeah, that I can imagine because you're going to do some heavy demo, demolition to blow through the building as the tenant next door is still operating their business. That must the convincing part of that was, look, your customers have a challenge getting to the parking that's in the rear of this property here. Most people don't even know that it exists. And so we are therefore going to enhance your ability to get customers to the back of the parking space. And it was kind of uh, embellishing a little bit, but uh, it, helped them, it helped convince them. Wow. And the store still exists today. It does. Yeah. Next time I'm in Memphis, I got to check this, this drive through Duncan out. Yeah. Union Avenue, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, 
uh, it was a it was a fun fun project. And, but that you know, Chris, that's one of thousands I could tell you, <laughs> right? I mean, there's a lot of them out there um, um, that I've been involved in. But that one sticks to mind because it was a first store to market and complex for obvious many reasons. Fantastic! What a cool story. Thank you for sharing that. I want to take us to the last part of the show. Retail wisdom. I've got three questions for you. Are you ready? Shoot. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? I'd have to say it would be the retailer that I spend the most time inside of when I did go to those locations. I went there infrequently, but when I was there, they would capture me for a couple of hours while I was there. And that would probably be the sharper image. I'm a kind of a gadget geek. And so I had to walk through the entire store and put my hands on every gadget in the entire facility before I left. So that I was up to date on what those, those uh, uh, you know, the, the new things coming onto the market. We're going to go off script. What gadget are you excited about right now? Gadget. You know, I was, I was doing some Christmas shopping. My daughter plays uh, high school basketball, travel basketball, and, um, you know, a lot of stress on her legs and on her knees and on her ankles. And I saw this device that you strap around your legs, your hips and your feet, and it uses air pressure and um, adds air pressure at different points through this therapy session that is pre-programmed in your phone um, that, you know, creates some type of relief on your sore and strained muscles. I, I thought that was just mind boggling. Wow. That is mind boggling. Thank you. Question two. Yep. What's the last item over $20 that you have purchased in a store? Well, let's see. If I look around my office here, I think the first thing that comes to mind is this bottle of Bombay Sapphire. <laughs> so, I, I, I have to say that was probably the last thing I went to a store and purchased 20 bucks on, which really wasn't that long ago. Fantastic. That's great. Last question. You ready, Larry? You and I are at Target. We're shopping. I lose you. What aisle would I find you in? That's an easy one. I would be in the automotive aisle. Oh. Um, I'm a shade tree mechanic by heart. And so uh, I love tinkering on cars. And uh, so I would probably be in that aisle um, checking out whatever things I could tinker around with my car on. Very cool. Well, this has been great. Love the talk about ghost kitchens, drive-thrus, a very cool story where you developed an incredible drive-thru. And um, this has been awesome. So Thanks so much, man. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. This is great. Chris, thanks for what you're doing, man. This is awesome. I, I wish this was around 20 years ago when I got into the business. Um, I was always looking for advice and mentorship and what you've created here is just, uh, it's fantastic. So everybody who's getting into this industry and they have access to this, um, I'm sure they thank you as well. Thank you so much for saying that, man. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.